Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Into the Labyrinth uh, with Brendan, your host. And today, quick announcement, I guess you could say. I'm only going to add this announcement for a few episodes, trying to get as many people that listen to my podcast to hear it as possible. But the change direction of the podcast is going to be more free-flowing, more raw, less scripted than it used to be. I, I realize, you know, I have my, like, whole social media persona, more marketing focus, which is blah, I hate the whole marketing focus aspect, but um, yeah, so the podcast is going to be more free-flowing, raw, maybe providing commentary on stuff I'm reading about, interested in, uh, bringing in audio and videos that I find interesting or want to talk about or think I can provide some insight on that can be helpful to you, and I also found helpful to me in like kind of expressing it. But like I said, I kind of want this more raw approach approach for this because my writing was, is more structured and scripted, of course, because... It's kind of the inherent nature of writing an essay, but I was kind of combining the two, the podcast um, and my writing, but I want this, I, I find something important about kind of the speaking aspect and the conversational aspect and seeing what comes about and how uh, we explain things when we speak about things. Um, and I kind of learned this from Lacan where he didn't really like writing, but he liked to explain his concepts uh, speaking wise and in front of a crowd and obviously I don't have the crowd, but I have listeners. So I want to do it this way and uh, see how it goes. So I, I say this preface. So, you know, sometimes as it's going to be a learning process as I fuck up, I want to leave some of my fuck ups in there. So, you know, that I fuck up and I don't want to, I don't want to overly edit it, um, and all that, but yeah, so I'm going to provide some commentary on things. I'm going to have a general topic that I want to talk about, but like keep it free flowing in today's episode, today's episode is going to be about Aubrey Marcus. He is the trust fund king of spiritual guruing. You know, some of you might know him or of him from his rise to fame. He had a rise to fame with being buddies with Joe Rogan. Uh, while others might know about his more recent trajectory, I think he's kind of had an upward trajectory here of popularity during the coronavirus. Um, he had a bunch of, he had, he had some videos go viral, including some of his minions go viral. I don't know if that's the right way to say it. That might put people off that are listening. Um, but he's kind of the, you know, he's, he's become this, he's had this trajectory of becoming the warrior poet of modern new age spirituality, essentially. Um, and you can find him colonizing indigenous cultures and, and traditions and packaging them for thousands and thousands of dollars also that people in modern Western society can more easily continually heal themselves while avoiding, uh, acknowledging the problematic imperialist practices we continually take part in. But that's kind of what we're going to dive into. And I want to add this point too, because uh, I know a lot of my listeners are, we have a very we have a very broad base of listeners, and I love that. I have a lot of people interested in spirituality. I have a lot of people interested in psychology, people interested in philosophy, and then also critical theory. And whenever I pick a topic, I have that in mind. So I like to try to connect all of those dots and kind of apply why that's important. Um so keep that in mind uh, when you're listening or if, if you're about to turn it off and you're like, oh, this is an episode that's not covering my areas of interest. I always try to keep every, all my kind of my broad range of listeners in mind when I make stuff. Um, but yeah, so Aubrey, Aubrey, back to Aubrey here. Backtrack. Aubrey has kind of used his platform to push his overpriced supplements and now he is also pushing a line of programs and events for life coaching while kind of like seemingly doubling down on furthering colonizing eastern and indigenous practices 
That's what we're going to dive into. And looking at that through a Western paradigm context, looking at it, how our structures in place, the symbolism we have here in, in Western society, and we sometimes are oblivious to harm we are doing, all in the name of healing the individual self. Um, yeah, and this is where, before we even like dive even deeper, I want to give shout-outs. Um, there's some other podcasts that cover this type of content uh, more consistently. I'm going to do this sometimes because this is stuff I'm interested in as well, but there's podcasts that are dedicated to this stuff. This kind of critiques of spiritual out and new age spirituality and gurus and the healing stuff and the self-help industry, all that stuff. Um, and some of those problematic practices. I, and those are, those are podcasts like decoding the gurus, conspirituality and, um, love and light confessionals. So I want to give them a shout out. You should check them out if you're more into this stuff. But I want the reason I'm bringing this up and I bring up those is because they cover, they have their own niche and way of doing it. And when I bring this stuff up, I want to provide, it means I, I, I think I can provide a slightly different spin. Um, this is where I can bring in more psychology, philosophy, and critical theory to help analyze the issues with some of the practices that go on. And, and like that's, I say, I say practices in this case, because in this case, I'm talking about Aubrey Marcus. And more of why they are a problem using the backdrop of my areas of interest and hopefully what I consider my areas of expertise to shed light on some of that stuff. Those other podcasts, this is that's kind of like their main thing. So when I do these episodes, it's because I think I can keep it in the scope of my show while providing some some valuable insight that might not have been said yet. And thus, we are here with Aubrey Marcus, and I'm thinking maybe I can do that. Uh, we'll see if I release this episode, but let's enter the labyrinth. I know it's kind of a long intro, but it also, I think set a lot of things up and what I'm going to talk about. So let's enter the labyrinth. Let's get into it. Okay. So Aubrey and the new age. Uh, we're going to pull in some clips too. I'm going to see how I use them. I, I didn't really like put into place in my little bare outline that I have. I didn't really put much into place of where I want to use those. I kind of want to use those when I feel like they can be pulled in. But um, I want to add a preface. <laughs> I feel I need to do this because whenever you critique something, especially me who's kind of been involved with a lot of spirituality stuff, you know, done ayahuasca and, and all those you know, meditation. And I find them important. I find them to be helpful for a lot of people, including myself. Um, but doesn't mean that it's all good. And that's what, that's kind of my personality. You know, uh, I liked, I, I don't see it as negativity. I see it as important critique so we can improve how we practice things and how we do things and how we think about things. That's why, that's what I'm motivated by. I want people to, to know that. Um, I'm not like a spirituality hater by any means. Uh, I want people to find healing and I have no doubt that Aubrey has been convinced of his profound healing and that what everything he does is helping people. And that's, that's what the crazy part of this is, you know, it's like no one thinks what they're doing is usually, no one really thinks it's bad. They all convince themselves of why they do things and their and, and that their intentions are always pure. Um, I think Aubrey thinks what he's doing is, and his intentions are good. Uh, you know, I also have no doubt that his followers and supporters are finding value in what he says and what he does. I have no doubt about that, right? That's not the point of the episode, though. 
We must consider the context and consider where things can become problematic and why those things can become problematic. That is the point, you know, and, and I mentioned those other podcasts earlier and I want and there is going to be an episode of Conspirituality on Aubrey Marcus that I want people to listen to because I'm going to be trying to hit different things and focus on different things that I don't think they covered in that episode. Um, but Aubrey, at the end of the day, he is a trust fund child. He had money to experiment with his businesses. You know, it's and, and the major reason is where he where he is today is because of that privileged upbringing. That needs to be acknowledged simply because of what he does, what he does for a living now, how he makes his money. That needs to be acknowledged. So, in all of your life, you have your rent paid for. You didn't have to worry about where the next paycheck was coming from. You had a nice roof over your head. Where does your mind go when all those needs are met? Because that that is not the case for everyone in the U.S. Definitely not the case for everyone in the world. You know, people in the U.S. often are more privileged than other people in the world. But we have plenty of income inequality and issues here in the U.S. Um, yeah, so it, it, when we have these gurus pop up with a privileged background like this, and then what they're selling is this idea of continuous self-optimization, continuous further healing. We need to pay attention to what they are doing there because that is the ability to continually do that and pay all this money for continued self-optimization and continued further healing of the individual self. The individual self is the key thing. That is what we're going to focus on too. The individual self. It's a privilege to be able to continually self-optimize and continually to heal your perception of your individual self. Not everyone gets to do that. Some people are focused on survival, you know, and that and that's the important thing. When there's people starving in the world, you know, when we have like when we have a profound spiritual experience, why do we need to continue down the path of fixing the self? When that there, you know, we always pretend like there's an endpoint of fixing this me, me, me self. But really, there's there is people starving in the world, and that what if we change our trajectory? And instead of selling people courses and making people pay thousands of dollars to further heal themselves, what if we paid focused on the structures that we have in place that are negatively affecting people throughout the world and that is, and that those structures that are contributing to the suffering of humans collectively, of people starving, of people, you know, they, they can't even think about these things. They're not, they're not even able to think about these things because they are so focused on finding food for their next meal. And that and that's something we need to consider. And how that came about, how we became so privileged here in the US, we need to acknowledge that. You know, and it's and in in Aubrey's case, talking about Aubrey here, leave it to the oblivious imperialist to have this longing for what imperialisms for what imperialism that that themselves is part of, including me, I'm part of this too. Leave it to them. To have a longing for those traditions we destroyed. And when I'm talking about Aubrey here, I'm talking about when he brings in indigenous uh, traditions. You know, ayahuasca is a very indigenous tradition that the U.S. is all the craze in the U.S. I have taken part in it. I have also kind of had to acknowledge to myself of kind of maybe the, the problematic nature of taking part in that. Um, just in the way... Uh, it's often done in the U.S. Um, I try to do it in what I found to be the most ethical way possible, but yeah, I still I still question that with myself. 
Um, and I think it's okay to question that. And I think I should question that. Um, but th- like I said, there's still that longing for those traditions. That imperialism took part in destroying. And U.S. is the king right now of imperialism and colonization. You know? And and it's not even that fact. It's one thing to take part in it. But when you take part in it and then you convert what is left of those traditions into something the system has mostly destroyed and then what you have found that is left of it and you go instead of instead of propping up the people in those cultures, propping them up and allowing them to share these gifts with the world, you decide to take it and convert it into something that can be consumed for more privileged people here in the U.S. Do we... I, I like in my. I know there's people out there like me that find this problematic, but the amount of times I encounter people that just are completely just shut off to the idea that there's anything problematic about that, they don't see any flaw in that. And I just I don't know if my mind is the like this is the way I wired now the way I think about this, but I can't even comprehend how they don't see this, how they don't understand this, and it kind of bugs me, you know. Like, so I found, I found a review on his, it's called fit for service. This is like Aubrey's new big thing where he kind of gathers all these uh, people together for these healing retreats and shit. And they, I think they do ayahuasca oftentimes. And they also do other types of healing things and meditation. And they go to various locations for these retreats. That's kind of the gist of what I found about it. I saw, I watched some of the advertisements for it. And a lot of the advertisements happened to be a bunch of very fit looking, pretty, you know, fit looking white people, um, not a lot of diversity in those groups. And within those uh, services he is offering, his face is all over this fit for service thing. Uh, you know, all you have to do is pay twenty to $30,000 a year, a year to take part in this stuff. There's like a tuition for his little school he's opened, his spiritual school. And then you also have to pay to attend the retreats. Twenty to thirty thousand dollars. You have to be pretty well off to even be able to fathom affording that. Um, yeah, all all to take part in this community that uh, happens to they all happen to think alike, and they all happen to have these very same skepticisms about the authority in place. And that's the other thing about these groups. You know, it's they prop themselves up as as analyzing the authority we have in place and you know they they prop themselves up as these these rebellious groups um and that's that's something i find really interesting when these groups prop themselves up as this kind of rebellious group uh simply because in history the the rebellious groups you know i think of like even like hippie culture in the 60s uh you know when psychedelics were the rage back then before the government you know came stomping down they were rebellious to authority but they were also rebellious to the system we have in place the symbolic order we had in place and i'm not saying it to be anti-capitalism to agree with this point but they were they were they were a group of people that got shocked out of their loop of thinking. They got shocked out of their loop of thinking and they started looking at the system we have in place, the structure we have in place, and they started questioning that authority. But now we have this group of people such as, you know, Aubrey Marcus, I'm using Aubrey Marcus here, but like a lot of new age spirituality that is questioning authority while simultaneously taking that questioning 
and converting it back into the embrace of the system, the embrace of consumerist culture, the embrace of materialism. They're not actually rebellious. It's a narrative they convince themselves that they're like free thinkers and rebellious while simultaneously embracing the authority structure we have in place, which is the symbolic order of capitalism. And that's using some Zizek and, and Lacan, in this case, talking about symbolic order, but that is what we have here in Western society and the Western paradigm. Um, but yeah, I think, let me see, got a couple notes. I want to make sure I cover everything before I get to the videos. Um, so I guess my main thing about the healing journey is, why doesn't your healing journey make you look to the collective and wonder, what is the system, you know, what is the system that we are in? What is that doing to create suffering in the world? You know, or is, is it your job to find other people to, to get to, to spend more money to help prop up your, your life and so you can make more money to then go about and try to do more of this healing stuff and meditation stuff when the cultures we are taking those practices from, how are we helping them? How, how, what are we doing for them? And that, that is my big point too. So let's do a couple of videos. I don't even, let me see here. I want I definitely want to pull in a couple. Uh, there was a couple, I don't know if I want to do Aubrey Marcus's void one. I think we're going to do some of the fit for service ones first. We might not listen to all of them or the whole video, but we're going to kind of jump around a bit, but maybe bring up some more points to talk about as well. So here's one by Aubrey. The fit for service fellowship is built around a simple concept. And that concept is to be of service to the world, to your family, to yourself. First, you have to be fit for service. And that requires training. That requires becoming physically fit, mentally fit, emotionally fit, financially fit, spiritually fit. And there is no greater. Okay. This is the example. Okay. So <laughs> this is kind of the epitome of what I'm talking about. You know, it's, it's the continued pursuit of perfecting the inner self the individual self. And then we just assume with that backdrop that once we accomplish that, that the the helping of others will just inevitably come. But if we never, if we just assume that healing the individual self, is that really acknowledging the foundation at place, the foundation of the social structures we have in place and what they do to affect other people's individual journey and where they come from, the the circumstances they are placed in, their circum- the choices they are forced into, and the effects those have. So we talk about this transformation and this idea of healing. And you just have you when you're fit, then you'll be able to help the world. But when when why does it always seem like the decisions they end up making to help the world is to sell more courses to get more people to go down this health help self help tr- transformation journey. You know, do, you, do we ever ask ourselves if we are convincing ourselves that the meaning of life is this some sort of transformational uh, journey of the self, the transforming and the, the full optimization of the self and, and the full optimization of the financial stability? But what about the systems we have in place that one, allow us to, to, to take those journeys? And two, what about the effects that the industry that wants you to become transformational and ha- take this transformational journey, what does that industry, how does that industry affect the world? 
and affect other people. Because it's not just about me. It's not just about you. And that I think that's something that needs to be acknowledged more. Uh, let me see if he, what else he says in this clip. But I'm also like reading the uh, text because I'm on his Instagram and what these posts are. Accelerator to that than a community, a tribe of people dedicated to the same goal, offering up the truth of their experience. What are they going through? What lessons have they learned? That's what we're doing. That's what myself and all of the master coaches both in the program and the external master coaches that were flying in to share all of the lessons they've learned so that collectively we can all accelerate our growth to a place where we can figure out any problem that we're facing whether it's where's the growth going towards the growth towards what? And all you need to do to take part in this tribe is be able to spend thousands upon thousands of dollars every year to take part in this growth. But where is the growth going? What is this truth actualizing? And what in these problems we talk about solving, what problems? What problems? There is problems in the world. Why, why are they never focused on those problems? Focused on the structures and the social structures and the order we have and we have a bad, dark history that we can look at. How, how come we never are helping solve those problems when we talk about this stuff? When we talk about fit for service, it's like, okay, how can I help other people solve their problems? But when you become from, when, especially in Aubrey's case, he has all these resources and he just wants to make millions and millions more dollars for what? To help other privileged people to become more privileged, essentially. Um, and maybe I'm just being a fucking asshole on this. I don't, I don't even know sometimes, but just some thoughts I have on this. Um, here's another one. I think there's one that he had a really interesting Instagram post about that I want to talk about too. See if I can find it. Um, let's try this one. Nobody understands me. The choices that I'm making. I just feel like I have people waiting on me or they kind of want me to make some kind of decision. It's just that little piece of like guilt that I sometimes still feel about saying no to people. The thing that's holding you back is your fear of what other people think. And guess what? They don't know shit about you. This is the same thing I've been saying on this call. Nobody knows shit about you. They're just putting, as you know, Don Miguel always talks about, I just did a podcast with them. They have no idea. They're just projecting their idea of who they think you are and what they think you should do, but it's completely a fabrication. They might as well be writing Huckleberry Finn, the fucking sequel. <laughs> it's, a, it's total fiction, right? Yeah. Like it's not, it doesn't even track reality at all. So they, they don't know. You can explain to them with words and then they can kind of maybe adjust the mirage, the dream that they have of you. But they don't know. They're operating and their desires are operating on limited data from a hologram of you that they're presenting. This, this brings me to an interesting thought about a common term, especially not just in spirituality, but kind of um, self-help and kind of modern pseudo psychology that goes on this idea of projecting like anytime we get any criticism or we we perceive any judgment um we, we like to say that or like any critique or we sense any negativity we like we we often and i i try to stop myself from doing this too but 
we create this mindset and this understanding that, oh, like that person that's critiquing me or providing some sort of negativity or insight, they're just projecting. They're just projecting their insecurities onto me. But if we take take the idea of projecting consistently, we're always projecting. We're always projecting the identity we currently have for ourselves. That never stops. That never ends. No matter how much healing you do, you're always projecting. The best we can do is to constantly be becoming more aware of the identity we create for ourselves and the multiplicity of that and how what we're allowing to influence our identity the best we can. You can't always do that perfectly because you're always going to have some probably unconscious uh, beliefs that are just inevitably going to be so hard to decode that we can never really fully decode them and deterritorialize them. Um, but still, there's a constant evaluation of the identity we hold because no matter what you're like, your identity is what you will project into the world. Um, but my point about what that little minute clip I played uh, is, I think is important is I think that's an easy way. It can become an easy way to avoid criticism of what we're doing. Um, so like, for example, my episode or what I'm doing in this episode, Aubrey would react. I would, I would say it's like, Oh, I'm projecting some sort of insecurity or my truth onto what he's doing. Um, but within like, how do we improve ourselves? How do we, uh, take acknowledgement when we fuck up? What, what is the moment we realize we fuck up? We need some form of information coming in that is attacking our identity in some light, in some way. And we have to reevaluate the identity. We have to be shocked out of our identity. And that takes another projection from someone else. You're constantly being influenced by projections. Uh, but an easy way to avoid that input loop of, of other people's projections is to constantly dismiss everything as though your identity is already perfect and that everyone else's projection is the one that's fucked up and my projections are the perfect ones and my identity is the perfect one. That's an easy way to dismiss things. And like what he was saying in that clip, it's a really easy way to dismiss things. You know, like, oh, no, like Aubrey's sitting in cases like, no, I am saving the world. I am helping people. I don't need to acknowledge uh, the the ways I'm have affecting indigenous cultures and what I'm taking and what I'm using and how I'm taking this into a consumer's package. I don't need to acknowledge that because I'm helping heal the world. You're just projecting your insecurities. You're just jealous of what I'm doing. You're just jealous of where I've come or what I've done. And maybe you're right. Maybe you're fucking right. Maybe he is fucking right. Or maybe his identity is defending himself. He is defending his own narrative, his own idea, perception of truth. And he's protecting that truth. Because he fears being wrong. He doesn't want to acknowledge that because he likes where it is now. He likes where his identity has taken him. Even if it's wrong, even if it's bad for the collective as a whole, he likes where it's taking him. And that's, you know, I hope that part makes sense. But let me see if there's any other stuff on this clip. I kind of like this one. Yeah, fuck. So who cares? You know, like that's why you have to follow what you are. And that's why people pleasing is so such a problem is because people are not seeing you. Mm-hmm. They're not seeing you truly for who you are. And this is something when I first stepped into it, when I first went on Joe Rogan's podcast and we launched Alpha Brain together, man, did I get some fucking criticism. And I remember I went to Bodie Miller, who was my best friend at the time. Now watch this man. He has perhaps the most unorthodox style and technique. Honestly, I just felt, I don't know if anyone else sensed this or maybe this is me sensing it. But I just felt so much validation for him just bringing up his supplement 
as his way of like, oh, I got a lot of critique about my supplements and I had to end up saying, fuck you to them. I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to follow my truth. Protecting your identity because you don't want to acknowledge the criticism that you're selling supplement pills that you can get much the same supplement pills. You know, there's not a lot of great research of what's like supplements actually working. We don't have very much data on that stuff. But let's say some of them do work. The stuff that on it, Aubrey Marcus's and Joe Rogan's little supplement company, the stuff they sell, you can get that stuff much cheaper. There's other brands that have the exact same products that do it much cheaper, much, much cheaper. They're simply utilizing their name to extract more profits from people because they they know they can. They can extract more resources from them. You know, I find that problematic. Some people don't, um, but I do. And... So that, it's just funny when I was talking about the projecting thing, he's protecting his identity. He's protecting his actions. No, this is my truth. I've come to my truth. I've come, I've made peace with it. I have no doubt you've made peace with your truth. I'm saying that maybe you shouldn't have fucking made peace with your truth. And uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm coming across as a dick in this, but anyway, I think uh, there's uh, what other one. There's a couple other. There's this one. Let's try this one. Don't let me show Okay, I just realized as I was playing the music, uh, I clipped this one because of the phrasing of what he put in the Instagram post. So I'm going to kind of read some of this. So we, so it says in the fit for service post, we aren't here to play small. We are here to dream big and find a way, uh, find a way, no matter the obstacle. We aren't here to lay trampled and defeated by our past. We are here to get up every time we are knocked down and exclaim, I'm here for this. Do your worst. And I will keep getting back up. Like that stuff. Honestly, that's like, I don't have a problem with some saying some of that stuff. It's the context of where it's set in. And what we are doing with that understanding and that inspirational quote, you know, and then he he continues by saying, we aren't here to traverse this earth alone. We are here to celebrate and be celebrated in the company of our tribe. They they love to talk about this tribe and continually talk about the tribe. Um, And that's what I find so interesting is I think sometimes we miss acknowledging the intersubjective uh, relations we end up forming when we form tribes. Uh, there's a reason a lot of people in the spirituality community end up going down very similar trajectories of conspiracy theories and belief systems, um, a very similar way of explaining how they question authority, uh, what groups they trust and don't trust, who they think is open-minded and closed-minded. They all have a very similar cohesion to that because they're having this intersubjective relatability. They're, they are forming a tribe. But they act like it's a, it's uh, some form of liberation, but they end up forming their own symbolic order that they all fall in line with. And once you, if you don't recognize the big other of the symbolic order that you form, uh, which is a, another concept I'm borrowing from Lacan and, and, and Zizek, um, if you don't acknowledge that, it ends up controlling you even more, in my opinion there. Uh, and I don't think they acknowledge that. They, they you know, once you have this sort of, spiritual experience that shocks you out of your loop of thinking and then you you think you're having this new awareness of how you're thinking about the self and then when you're evaluating the self you you reinsert things into that after it becomes questions after you decode some of that and you end up sometimes coding it with a new tribe and the new tribe has its own system of order and traditions in place and sometimes we can you know since we already went through the process once 
we stop that process of acknowledging the new order that we've embraced and the new cohesive way of thinking because it isn't your truth. Your truth is never just simply your truth. That's the big thing that I've come to, I think, understand. Maybe this is just my opinion, but you don't have just your truth. Your truth is connected to all the other ones. You don't just have your subjective experience. Your subjective experience is connected to all the other ones. You're constantly interplaying with the intersubjective experience with everyone all the time. It's not simply your healing. Your process of healing is affecting everyone else's process of healing. And I think that is the big thing that maybe we need to acknowledge. Um, okay, and there's one more clip. I'm going to see if anything comes up in this. This is where he gets all like voidy. I kind of want to conclude it with this one. He talks about the void just because given the background of my podcast, where I talk about the void sometimes in my own way, this one talks about the void. Uh, I'll see if, 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 I, if I have any closing thoughts on it. Um, well, let's see where we're at with time on this episode. We're at 30 minutes. Okay, we're going longer than I thought it would. Okay, so let's test this one out. There's no escape. There's literally no way out. And I think that's what's both terrifying and exciting about this. It's like, what happens when there's no way out? What happens when you have no self, no opportunity to do anything, no substances, no distractions, no food, no water, no sight, no sound, no song, no talk to a friend, no look at your phone, no watch TV, no go for a walk. You got nothing. That was a, something that I was not expecting to come through in the darkness and in the power of the darkness is that there's no escape there is just no escape like we can escape in an infinite number of ways we can escape by simply averting our gaze imagine mm. a time where you're bored and you just look at something <sighs> and what are stories. we doing we're we're escaping uh-huh, we're escaping present. a process that's happening in our mind because we're uncomfortable with our mind and in the darkness and we're uncomfortable with sh- discomfort. You ain't got shit. <laughs> you can wiggle. Like, you can wiggle. You can breathe. You got no sound. You got no sight. You have nothing to do. And so the things that need to come up, come up. And that's why, to me, it was the most powerful medicine I've ever done. And the documentary, I mean, is... I mean, when we watched that, we just had the premiere. When we watched that, it was one of the most powerfully brutal experiences for me to rewatch that because it was so deep and such a visceral experience of everything that I went through. You start to learn where things are out of out of alignment. Okay. Um now I remember kind of why I chose this one to conclude with. Um I might talk about this more in other episodes just because I feel like I'm kind of running out of time today. Um, <laughs> it's just, I don't know if everyone, how many people know this. I forget how publicly I've been, I've talked about this, but I've been into the spirit. Like I've been in spiritual spaces. I have plenty of friends into spirituality. I have plenty of friends deep down the rabbit hole of spirituality. Um, I've done ayahuasca ceremonies, many of them. Um, and it's a very interesting, and that's what he's talking about this, his little dark night of the soul, essentially, uh, and his coming, coming one with the darkness, seeing what thoughts come about and what needs to be, to be decoded and rebuilt and, and trauma that comes up, all this stuff, right? 
ayahuasca and psychedelics in general and even meditation retreats, that's where they I do believe they can help people heal. Like I said, kind of in the preface in the beginning of the episode. Um, but we also need to acknowledge that one, there's not a lot of research around it. That's not to necessarily dismiss it, but we also need to acknowledge, and this is where I have personal experience of people's stories around this and personal encounters. So yeah, we have to rely on a lot of personal um, encounters with this stuff. And something I think a lot of these spiritual spaces don't want to talk about is just how shocking some of these experiences can be with psychedelics and and even even meditation retreat. Yeah, you can get deep into meditation and it can cause similar things. But let's focus on psychedelics and ayahuasca. The it's a shocking event. Your psyche is being shocked out of its loop. And your sense of self is being shocked. Your identity is being shocked. Those same things of why it can be profound for healing is also why it can be very dangerous in the wrong context. And it matters a lot what you bring into it. Um, And that's the scary part, in my opinion, is because we end up, when, when you're opened up, when your psyche's opened up like that, and your sense of self is being kind of decoded and demolished. You, your survival mode does go into place. It's a shocking traumatic experience you're essentially putting yourself through. And then you are forced to evaluate in those moments. And you're, forced to, you're kind of forced to insert things back into your sense of self. And you're creating an identity. Because you are still constantly creating an identity for yourself in that space. And you're reestablishing something and sometimes when you're in that space everything becomes more profound everything feels more connected everything feels more important everything feels more meaningful and purposeful it's hitting all those little cues in your mind that make it profound for healing but can also make it extremely dangerous and i think that needs to be more talked about is how it can be also dangerous because the reason it's dangerous is because what you fill back in to those gaps that your psyche is now having because you're on this new substance that shocks you out of your loop and is making you question the entire sense of self and, and your relation to the cosmos and you start feeling the cosmos and feeling all these emotions differently. That same same experience, you when what you insert starts feeling more profound and it starts feeling more truthful and more true. And, and something beyond truth, beyond meaning, more impactful. All these profound things that we, we end up creating because we enter a state of uncertainty. We often want to reinsert something and we want to reinsert a truth. And we want to get back to certainty because what I, something like ayahuasca does, it enters you into a state of uncertainty. So you want to get back to certainty. And when you want to get back to certainty, what you need is an absolute truth that what you're experiencing was needed that what you're doing is necessary that your path is the truest and the best and then when that happens that identity sometimes can be even stronger and then it becomes harder to evaluate the decisions we make and the possible problematic things we say in my opinion there and that's what i wonder and that's why i concluded with that one i wonder that about a character and these gurus something like aubrey that you know charged thousands and thousands of dollars for these Eastern philosophy and indigenous cultural traditions um, that they're taking in. You know, they, they think, oh, I'm on this great path. And then they take a substance that, yes, you were on this great path. And we just want to assume that something will come about that'll make us question that. 
but you need the thought to bring into it. The thought, like the thought doesn't just magically appear in that space. The thoughts you take into that space are the thoughts that come out. There's not new knowledge that gets downloaded in that space. The knowledge is already there. And then the, the, like sometimes what's already in your psyche gets pulled out. And I think that's the key thing to remember, you know? So it takes a thought like this, like the shit I'm putting out now is like, okay, you go into that space and maybe the thought comes out. You know, I hope that part makes sense. I'm going to dive more into that stuff in later episodes. I feel like that was probably a decent rant to end with. Um, I hope you guys found this valuable. I went on for 40 minutes. I was not expecting this. I was expecting this to be 20 minutes. So I think I might release this one. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I hope you appreciated some of that. Um, even if you disagree with me or think I'm a dick, um, I hope you still... I hope I left you with something to think about. And that's my main goal. Um, yeah. And I, I have things to improve on too. And I'll continue to try to do that. But yeah, love these conversations. And as always, I appreciate you all for listening and um, taking the time to listen to me. Uh, but as always, thank you for listening. As I said, appreciate you all. Love you all. Have a good one. But get the fuck out of my life. <laughs>